Daddy. What's going on, sweetie? Something feels weird. Something's changing. You remember the tools we taught you, right? Pencil, desk, paper, shoes. You're weird. Everything okay, Charlie? It happened again. What happened? The bad thing. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. James? <laughs> uh, and I'm Colin. Right. Yes, we are missing James because, unfortunately, after successfully hiding from the coronavirus for basically two years by never leaving their house, uh, James and Emily left the house, went on vacation, and came back with COVID. COVID. So uh, he told us to just go ahead and go on without him. Yeah, actually, he said, burn it down, I think. Is that what he said? <laughs> I think he dodged a bullet is what he did. <laughs> so, uh, but fortunately, uh, I have a network of internet friends and uh, that I've met through podcasting. And uh, one of them happens to have a podcast about Stephen King in all media, uh, a podcast that I have appeared on. And the podcast is called Chat Cemetery, And the host is Deanna Chapman. And she's joining us for this one. So hi, Deanna. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I had seen that you posted on Twitter that you were going to, you knew what you were going to be watching in the next week. Um, Unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, originally, and I do want to talk about your podcast a little bit, um, but I had invited you on Hugo's there at some point after you had me on uh, Chat Cemetery, but I knew Mm -hmm. that your reading reading backlog was extensive. Um, But it occurred to me at some point that you know what, I bet she's, her schedule is a little freer now uh, that she's kind of caught up. So uh, extended the invite and here we are. Yeah, it sure is a little bit more free on the reading front. I have, however, just replaced it with more podcast work since that's also (laughs) my day job. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) nice. Well, why don't you talk about Chat Cemetery? What's What's the idea there? Yeah, so basically I started this for purely selfish reasons. I would walk by my mom's bookshelf when I was younger that was right outside my bedroom door, and it had a ton of Stephen King books on it. I believe she had up through The Wizard in Glass or something. So, you know, through part of the 90s, and I had picked up the little Green Mile chapbooks just because I thought they looked cute and short, and I, w- I read them way too soon, probably. And after reading a few more Stephen King books, I was like, okay, I really want to just read everything. And I told myself, if I didn't have deadlines, it was just never going to happen. It's one of those things for me where if I have my own side projects, I've noticed that if I do not have deadline set for myself. I'm just like, Oh, no, it's fine. I don't need to do it today. So I was like, All right, how do I do this? And make sure I stick to it. I was like, I'll start a podcast. And I talked to a few friends and Seth, if I'm not mistaken, you were on a while back. And it was probably around the time when I was having like the same four to five people on constantly. And then I (laughs) finally made some more internet friends and opened it up and got a whole slew of new guests. And the show, you know, was probably about halfway or two thirds through by the time I thought to do that, which, you know, Mm -hmm. a little late on my part. But yeah, the goal was just to read all of the books. But I was like, okay, I cannot do a weekly Stephen King podcast just with the books, because that would be like reader overload, because I knew it, 
112263 Under the Dome were just these massive books, and there was no way I was going to read everything week to week. So I was like, all right, there's a lot of adaptations. <laughs> Let me put in a, a bunch of <laughs> yeah, the movies and TV shows. And there was a lot of bad stuff, so much, in fact. <laughs> and I was not brave enough to do all of the Children of the Corn movies, but I did the first three, and I was like... <laughs> This is my limit for now. We'll revisit this another day. But yeah, so I went yeah. through everything pretty much chronologically. The only thing I didn't do was I didn't do individual stor individual short stories. I did the collections. So not mm. everything was purely chronological. But as far as the book releases and the collection releases go, it was chronological. And how long have you been doing it? So I started the podcast in technically October of 2018 because I dropped the trailer on Halloween and then mm. the episode started the following week and that took me through January of 2022, February of 2022 here and yeah. I finally caught up on all of the books. So now I've kind of just been filling in with some fun extras. There are some creep show media tie-in books that I did because they were tied to the Shutter show and I'm actually currently reading paperbacks from hell cuz King gets a few mentions in that so I'm trying to find you know not necessarily strictly King things but King adjacent things to cover in between you know the adaptations and upcoming books because I think one or two books have already been announced. You know, there's Fairy Tale coming in in September. We're talking about Firestarter 2022 today, and I believe Salem's Lot is also in September. So it seems like stuff kind of congregates at certain points of the year for King, and then I have to figure yeah. out what I'm going to do the rest of the time. Right. What about Gwendy's Final Task? Has that already come out? Yes. I believe that came out in February. So that was sort of the last thing I was waiting on. I had a few weeks between catching up and when that came out. So it was kind of perfectly timed there where I was just like, everything was slowing down. And then that came out. And, you know, it's the third book in a trilogy. And it is, I think, the longest of the three. The first one's definitely more novella sized. And then the second one, Chismar wrote by himself. So I did end up covering that because I'm, as you can probably tell, a, a pretty big completionist so i wasn't going to talk about yeah. <laughs> the first and third of something and not the second my limit yeah. was reached with children of the corn but i did do like all three sometimes they come back movies and all three mangler movies highly recommend not doing that with your life <laughs> <laughs> got it <laughs> yeah um i mean just the the scope of what you set out to do because you sent me the spreadsheet at some point yep uh, with with all the whole list there um and you know when i did my project i just i was like i'm just going to have a guest on and let them choose the topic and go in that order and uh but setting out to do it chronologically or mostly chronologically is is even a larger undertaking and like regimenting your time yeah yeah i had some brutal stretches there where there were like no adaptations so i think i had to read like Duma Key just after sunset and under the dome back to back to back or something. And it was just Oof, wow. so much. There was a pretty, pretty bad stretch around that time yeah. period. I I don't recall if that was the exact stretch, but I'm pretty sure it involved under the dome. And I was like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> 
Well, Colin here is a big Stephen King fan. You've you've read a lot of his, right? Yeah, not not to the extent that she has, though. Okay. <laughs> it's a lot. Nice. Well, we haven't covered we haven't covered that much Stephen King on the podcast, uh, just because we've tended to steer away from horror, and Firestarter mm-hmm. kind of straddles the line between science fiction slash fantasy slash horror. Yeah. So with that, you know, uh, we've done this before, where there's something we've previously covered, and you know, we combine it into book and movie mm-hmm. on our episodes, and so we did Firestarter on episode 49. So wow. this is like 110, I think. Um, 115? Yeah, I can't remember. Um, I stopped <laughs> putting knows? the episode numbers in the titles, <laughs> and so I don't remember anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, we've circled back. We circled back with the Fahrenheit 451 remake. We did the Dune remake as well. And uh, so now here we are with Firestarter. And I went back and listened to our previous episode. And Deanna, I listened to yours as well on, on both the book and the movie. And it seemed like we all agreed that the movie in the 80s was... A little bit boring. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so on our podcast, we're like, you know, a remake, that's not a bad idea. Um, and we hadn't heard about the remake, I don't think, at that point. I'm not sure it had been announced. Yeah. Um, maybe it had. Who knows? But yeah. Things, so, so many things kick around, it's hard to know, right? It is. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's one thing to say something's been optioned and another to say it's actually in production. Yeah. Um, but was there anything, and this is where, and I do want to actually, if there are things you want to cover that you would normally cover on your podcast. I want to make sure we hit that. But was there anything that you were, did you have like a list going into this movie where like, I hope that it does A, B, C, you hope it doesn't do something. Did you give it that kind of thought? Honestly, no. At this point with the stand remake and being disappointed with that recently, mm. I've kind of hit the point where I'm like, okay, if they are redoing something, I'm just kind of going into it with no real expectations like same with Salem's Lot coming later this year I'm like okay we already have two versions the 1979 one for me is superior to the 2004 one and it's one of those stories that I think is hard to adapt for King in Firestarter that is and yeah it feels like you just get this added element with King's writing to the characters that it's really hard to translate that to the screen because you want the big fiery explosions and all of that stuff for, you know, the visual aspect of it for the movie. And I think for me, the only thing I was a little worried about going into this was I had just, not just, but semi-recently watched the latest American Horror Story season, which features Ryan Kiera Kiera Armstrong and I did not like her in that because she was just written as sort of this annoying pretentious kid who wanted to like kill her mom and I was like I can't get this out of my head so I kind of went into it like okay I hope I like her in this because Charlie's a very different character than that and I was not necessarily let down by her performance, but I think the thing that let me down the most with this movie was just the way it was written. Hmm. Yeah. And so maybe at this point, I I do want to get your thoughts too on like what, Colin, what you were thinking about going into a remake, um, but also like just overall thoughts about the movie. Um, So I don't know, should we start with what you were hoping slash fearing? Yeah. I was hoping for a a better adaptation and improvement. Mm -hmm. Um. And, and so I, I was asking myself, what exactly am I really looking for? Yeah. And 
like Deanna said, you know, so much of King's writing, you're in Charlie and Andy's and Rainbird's head. Mm-hmm. And that is what makes it, uh, you know, a really, really great story to have their, their motivations and their, uh, the reasons for doing this and the things that they know about each other and the things they don't know about each other. Yeah. That's really hard to adapt into a movie unless you go with voiceover, which is not a very popular thing. Yeah. Um, or you do some incredible exposition. Mm-hmm. Right. And this movie did not try to do that. Nope. It didn't care about it at all. <laughs> no. I mean, the, the special effects, I think, got done better than the original movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure what more we can say, what more I can say about it. Yeah. It's uh, I. So going into this one, I was thinking like... I didn't want the whitewashing from the 1980s movie. You know, I, I've always been a little uncomfortable with the Rainbird character anyway. I just felt like it's like weird exoticism kind of thing. Um, like here's this mystic Indian guy, you know, with one eye. Yeah. With, with one eye. And I'm like, are we still doing that? I don't think we're still doing that. Yeah. Um, and, and so then, you know, it's, it's not great that the eighties movie cast George C. Scott in that role. Um, but so I would have been okay with like, getting rid of that character essentially, but you need something of that character in there. And there's a character named brain Rainbird in this movie, but he's not John Rainbird from the book. No. <laughs> um, not that I'm one to, you know, I'm not the guy on this podcast who is like holding up the book as Holy writ um, and, and saying it, there were a B and C differences. And that's why I don't like it. If the story makes sense, I'm, I'm more or less okay with it. And there are some changes in this one that I was like, okay, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall thoughts about the movie. Um, I I didn't really like it. I liked like the first hour. I thought the first hour was pretty decent, uh, but it kind of kind of went downhill for me. Yeah, it, I think it was rushed. Yes, I would have liked to see more development of a lot of the relationships. I would have liked to see Charlie. Um, I would have liked to see her be bullied a little bit more and struggle to control that power a few more times. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted. I liked the nods. You know, the, the Pinchot Institute. Mm-hmm. I felt like Kurtwood Smith was uh, completely wasted in the so movie. So was Gloria Rubin. Yeah. And so was Gloria. Well, yeah. she probably had like twice as much screen time as him. Yeah. But she, uh, yeah, she doesn't have a lot of role there. The only mm-hmm. people that really have roles are uh, Charlie and Rainbird. Yeah. And they don't even have that much of a relationship to develop or anything. Mm-mm. I like the idea of having Rainbird be an ex-operative that yeah. originally took Lot 6. Yeah. But I like the original plot line far better. Mm-hmm. This this guy that wants to, you know to have this relationship with her to control her because he wants to, you know he's going to mystically die and absorb her power or get escorted yeah. to heaven or something and that just didn't come through quite as well with this. Well, no, they didn't have any of that in there at all. They they completely redid his character and you pointed it out right where when you had him come in and be the one who murdered the mother you're like well they just completely completely took away the latter half of the story of Rainbird because you can't now you can't have that relationship develop in the same way in, in, in an innocent way, right? Where, where he, I mean, it's not really innocent. It's very craven on his part. Right. Um, but on Charlie's part, it is right. Yeah, she she can never loves trust him. this man. Yeah. She could never trust him. Yeah. It's exactly like the adaptation of uh, clear and present danger. Hmm. Yeah. Right. That relationship is, is now broken and it will never, the level of trust will never be there again. Mm-hmm. Um, Deanna, you've hinted at, at the movie letting you down, but uh, just sort of overall thoughts is where we are. Yeah, so I am in complete agreement with both of you. And one of the things that really stood out to me was the fact that this spent so much time with the family together as a whole, because mm-hmm. 
in the book and in the original, if I'm not mistaken, her mom's already dead by the time yeah. we're, you know, just thrown into the midst of Charlie and Andy fleeing from the shop. And I think to your Rainbird point, you know, he is a character that tries to foster this relationship with Charlie. So it's the shop who kills her mom. And right. yes, Rainbird is part of that, but it really felt like this was just, oh, Rainbird is going after them, not the shop in like its entirety, like we see in the book and the original 80s movie. So it was lacking that element because when you have all of these shop people going after this child, you have this sense of urgency on the part of the shop. And here they're just like, we'll just send Rainbird. It's fine. Mm -hmm. We don't need to send anyone else. And sure, we do see cops show up, but it just doesn't have the same impact as it does in the book and the original movie. And I think Rainbird was cast very well in this. But the mm -hmm. way the character was written just completely let me down. And then that ending, I was just like, this has yeah. not been earned at all. I feel like it's a backdoor pilot for, for a new show that's The Adventures of Charlie and Rainbow. <laughs> oh. So it, it's a little weird. Um, did you ever, Colin, did you ever in the 80s see Shogun, the 12-hour the miniseries, six-part miniseries? No. At some point... In my in my working career, I was talking to somebody about like the the golden age of '80s miniseries on television, and I told him about it, and he's like, "Well, that sounds pretty cool. I'll check and see if the library has it." And he got it, and he watched it, and and then he came in and he's like, "I that was really confusing, like like I didn't understand anything that happened." I'm like, "Well, how did you watch? You watched the entire twelve hours last night?" And he's like, "No, it was two hours long," and I realized that he had gotten the library had a cut down two hour feature length movie cut down from the 12 hour uh, Shogun. And that's kind of what this movie felt like to me. Like, I felt like there's a lot missing here. I feel like somebody who didn't know this story at all would be very confused. Nothing was developed is what I'm saying. Like they, yeah. they didn't, they didn't spend the time in any one place. I mean, if anything, they spent more time with the family and I was okay with that and showing the, the conflict between Andy and, Vicky, Vicky, um, where she wanted to train her. He wanted to take the frozen approach, conceal, don't feel, right? Yes. Which always works out. Um, <laughs> but, but his reason made sense, right? It's, I can tell it's starting to affect me. I don't want that for her. Um, you know, I don't want it to damage her brain. So, so like all that made sense, but I don't know, like all that stuff didn't really pay anything off later in the movie. And then all of a sudden they're at the shop and he's telling her to give up and you know, they set up the Chekhov's push, right? I'm not going to push my own daughter. I'm not going to push my own daughter. And then of course he pushes her. Yeah. 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 Well, and it was weird. Vicky was the one advocating to say, yes, we should train her how to use her talent, her skills, mm -hmm. but she wasn't developing hers. Right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I would love to see a longer cut of this. I think it'd be different. Yeah. Um, maybe better, maybe not. It's hard <laughs> to know what was left on the editing floor. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, like, this was one of those rare times where I was like, this needed more. Usually I'm all for like a good 90-ish minute movie because we get so yeah. few of them these days. But <laughs> once I was watching it and I was like, they spent like half of the movie setting up 
the story. Yeah. And that was just way too long. I'd much rather be thrown into it in the midst of everything and sort of get that information filled in along the way. But because they right. were like, all right, we're going to show them as a complete family, mom, dad, daughter. We're going to show her struggling at school a little bit, which, you know, if they had maybe done a little more of that and a little faster paced, maybe, because that bathroom mm -hmm. scene was pretty long. And it was. <laughs> it just felt like they had so much they wanted to cover, but they took too long to get it going because I wasn't really ever invested in this. I was like, okay, cool. Gloria Rubin shows up and then she's, like you guys said, just kind of a wasted character. And I was like, this is so, mm -hmm. so bad. Because to me, she was basically replacing like the Martin Sheen role in the mm -hmm. original movie. And I felt like his presence in that was much more powerful than Gloria Rubens was allowed to be in this. Mm -hmm. I, I looked up really quickly who wrote the screenplay for this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to give Deanna a chance to shine here. So Deanna, in, in, the, in the book Four Seasons, there are four stories in there. Mm -hmm. One of those stories to date has not been adapted. Do you, do you know which one it is? Ah, uh, yes. The Breathing Method. Yes. According to Wikipedia... The guy that wrote the screenplay for the new Firestarter was hired to write the screenplay for the adaption, adaptation of The Breathing Method. And it never happened. I don't think it ever came out. <laughs> wow. And it would be a hard thing to have come out. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and, you know, we know there's such a thing as a shooting script and then what actually gets made, right? The, the movie gets written several times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And edited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you got your script doctors coming in and fixing things here and there. But, yeah, The Breathing Method is one that... I heard about the adaptation pretty early on when I was probably doing the Different Seasons collection episode. And obviously, you know, there are plenty of hits in that collection because you got The Body, Shawshank, Apt Pupil, which Apt Pupil adaptation has its own problems for different reasons. But The Breathing yeah. Method was kind of like the last story that I feel like not necessarily gets overlooked, but it's like the one that is by far the hardest to adapt of those four. And especially now, it's it would be wild to have that come out <laughs> in the current climate. But yeah, yeah, I think there was just something lacking in this. And honestly, I think in my Letterboxd review, I was like, it is wild that they put out a movie where the only redeeming thing is John Carpenter's score. Right. Oh, my goodness. You're right. The best thing, it was even better than the special effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I do want to say a couple of things that I liked. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, you know, I liked some of the little nods, like like Colin mentioned, like the Pinchot Institute or whatever, where... Mm -hmm. Kurtwood Smith was. I can't remember his character's name. Wanless. Wanless. That's right. Um, you know, I liked showing Andy's business, uh, you know, mm -hmm. pushing people to quit smoking. And, and I, I think there was weight loss and there was confidence and that kind of stuff. I, yep. I, I you know, I liked all of that. Um, I even kind of liked the way they visualized the push, right? Because it's really hard to, to portray that what's going on in his mind. I'm and I like the fact- I'm very hard. <laughs> I, I have, yes, I have, I have a really hard time 
justifying the whole, I've got these special contact lenses are, ha ha, you're nerfed. Um, But they set it up really well in that scene in Confidence Associates where he says, look into my eyes, right? He has to have firm eye contact in order for his powers to work. And evidently everybody has to have them except Charlie um, (laughs) because there's no way she had eye contact with the guys in the fire suits and that kind of stuff. Um, no, fortunately fire works differently than, yeah, it does. It does. Um, psionic powers, but like, you know, stuff can make sense if you make it make sense in the movie. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mind there being changes like that. I'm not sure all of that completely panned out. Um, but you know, I was okay with, with those changes. And like the other change, um, that is a definite nod to the book is when, uh, Mr. Manders picks them up and it kind of combines that scene with the taxi cab scene from the book mm-hmm. yeah. where he gives him the, the bill and changes his denomination. Um, although that takes away Manders's, you know, the goodness of his heart picking them up. Um, and then, then that's all a little weird. And, you know, some, something that I missed from, I think both adaptations, did we ever get any sense of the ricochet that uh, Andy can set off in people's minds? No. I don't think we did. And it's hard yeah. to do that when you're not inside somebody's head. Um, but I still miss it. Yeah. You know, this was, yeah, this movie had an opportunity to do that because of the, the quick cuts and edits that we'll tolerate now mm-hmm. that would not have worked in the eighties. Yeah. You could see where you would, uh, be looking at a character, the character be talking and then all of a sudden there'd be flashes to snakes. Right. Or blenders or mm-hmm. whatever. We won't mention the underwear. No. So. <laughs> but it's the kind of thing that takes time to develop. Right. In a book, you can do that. You can keep going back to Hollister and him talking about golf and snakes or, or the guy with the garbage disposal. You know, mm-hmm. um, you can't really pull that off in a movie, but I, I would have liked if they could have tried. And I think in order to do that, they would have had to extend this out to, you know, four part limited series or something. Oh, I don't know. They could have given us 10 more minutes of Gloria Rubens being sneaky and slimy and smarmy. Yeah. Because yeah. she had the potential to do it. Mm hmm. And yeah. you could see little glimpses of it now and then, but she she just didn't have the time and the opportunity. Sure. And once once he was at the shop, right, everybody had the special contacts, and so he couldn't push anybody. So, yeah. yeah. And, and the one thing that I think was most disappointing about the ending was uh, it was hard seeing Charlie or Andy completely defeated with no reason why. Yeah, I mean, she made a choice, right? That's... Um Andy says that to her, right? With, with, the, with the, the barbecued cat, much as I loved that. Um, oh. it, you know, it was a little weird to, okay, now finish it off with even more fire. Yeah. <laughs> I, he's trying to get across to her the cost of using the power, right? And, and that it needs to be a choice. And so at the end there, she kind of makes a decision not to barbecue John Rainbird. It's a long way to go between, I'm not going to kill you, and I'm going to walk off into the sunset with you. <laughs> yeah. Who killed my mother. Yeah. yeah. Considering she just killed a bunch of people who had nothing to do with her mother's death. Right. Well, other than they were associated with the shop, right? Yeah, but you would think, you know, like the lady in the hallway who was begging for her life. Sure. Okay. She is doing her job at the shop. Sure. Not great, but mm-hmm. she didn't do anything remotely close to what Rainbird did. And one of the things I had a little trouble with taking seriously was... Andy using the push and all of this blood, like just coming out of his eyes because it didn't look very good. And (laughs) it kept making me want to laugh. And I was like, I should not be laughing at this. And (laughs) this is a theme with a lot of the Stephen King adaptations that I'm not very fond of. 
I just yeah. find these moments where I'm like, I should not be laughing at this. And yet I cannot <laughs> stop myself because it yeah. either looks so bad or it's just, you know, so overacted in some of the lower budget stuff. I don't think Zac Efron did anything like over the top in this necessarily, but also just Zac Efron as the dad of like a 10 year old is strange to me. <laughs> <laughs> you still see him in basketball shorts and singing on a court. I have never seen a high school musical. Oh, okay. But <laughs> that is kind of the version of him that is just stuck in my head because even if you haven't right. seen those movies, like I obviously knew exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I watched the greatest American. Yeah, the greatest showman, and in that, in that movie, he has a much older, more experienced character, and so it helps balance it out for me. Okay. Yeah. Well, plus I guess he played Ted Bundy. Right. Yes. Yeah. That movie that I never remember the title of because I always get the words in the wrong order. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I did like some of the effects, like you said. Um, some of the effects about because the book is very descriptive. Obviously, Mr. King can can really write some words yeah. about horrifying things, especially. And several times in Firestarter, he talks about someone melting like tallow, um, like a candle, you know. And and so I like the fact that you, you got some of that with the guy in the car. Um, there was some kind of interesting, I'm curious what the level of practical versus CG was there. Um, but it looked pretty good. So that was cool. Uh, yeah, I'm always a fan of any time they opt for practical effects. I just think they hold up a bit better. And yeah. You know, we've all seen stuff from the 80s where they're like, we can do some computer things now. And you're like, right. yeah, you could, but alrighty then. <laughs> I mean, at least they didn't have the, the dummy head for the uh, the nose strike like in the original movie. Yeah. Uh, that was a practical effect that did not hold up. Yeah. On, on, our, on our original podcast, we're like, if you watch this in VHS, it probably worked for you. <laughs> If you watch yeah. it in, in high definition, not so much. It's no. not foolproof, but I do tend no. to prefer it. Yeah. So through this, we've kind of talked on and off about things that we didn't like, and there were a few mentions of things that we'd like to see done better. Can this individual version of Firestarter be redeemed? And you know, what would it take to do it? You mean, is there a good movie in there? Could you make this into a better movie? And how would you do it? Do you have to go back to the original Rainbird story, for example? Mm. Is that a requirement for this to be a successful See, story? I just assumed when when they knocked Rainbird off of that perch, right? Sorry, that that's a pun, and I did not mean that. Um, <laughs> when they removed him from that role, I just assumed that they were going to have that Gloria Rubens was going to be that person. She was going to be a mother figure or something, and they were going to develop that relationship slowly. Of course, they can't do anything slowly in an hour and thirty four minutes. No, um, or that they were going to get Doctor Wanless. In, and have Kurtwood Smith, who's not the most cuddly guy. <laughs> no, I totally expected him to be there supervising experiments on Charlie and Andy. Yeah, yeah. But we didn't even, that part didn't even occur. No. Right? And, and so that's, that's like the headlong rush to finish the movie. I feel like you miss all of the shop stuff that's so key to the story. Um, so you'd need to beef that up. And I don't know how you do that and keep some of the stuff that I actually liked about the, you know, having the the family actually be a thing, having the mother be an actual character to the extent that she was developed uh, more than in the book, right? Mm -hmm. Although in the book, it, you, you learn more about her in the flashbacks, right? But then she's fridged. Yeah, there's quite a bit there as, you know, you're kind of going through. They go back to her mom and dad going through the trial and it's 
more fleshed out in the book because you can do that in a book. You have the time. And Firestarter mm-hmm. isn't even a long Stephen King book by any stretch of the imagination right. in comparison to <laughs> some other stuff. But yeah, I think for me, I didn't mind the time we got to spend with her mom, but there were some scenes that really dragged out in that whole sort of first half of the movie, the bathroom scene at the school. You have her and her mom having the argument over the internet. It's like, you're right. living in a big house. Are you really expecting us to believe that you're poor and that's why you can't have internet? Like, just the way they were kind of filling in these lies that they had to tell to Charlie. And even the scene when Rainbird shows up at the house and she's going down the hallway, I feel like a little bit of a faster pace in a lot of those scenes could have given us the time we needed to get more of the shop. And, you know, I personally would change it to be the shop shows up and kills the mom because it has the same impact on Charlie either way. Her mom is dead. That part doesn't change. But making it Rainbird and taking away the fact that there isn't a single person who tries to foster a relationship with Charlie. Right. I think that's just such a crucial part of the story that this movie is missing. Mm. Yeah, even where she confesses that she was supposed to set her dad on fire instead of her mom and missed. Yeah. They really did gloss over that, though, didn't they? When she was like, it was supposed to be you. And it was just like, all right, mm-hmm. on to the next thing. And it's like, that's the thing you go very fast over? Yeah. Yeah. The thing that bothers me in movies is is when character decisions don't make a whole lot of sense. Like, for instance, and this is just a wild hypothetical, sending your pyrokinetic child to public school <laughs> instead of just homeschooling her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like everything else about their values seem to be like crazy granola homeschool anti-vax family. Yeah, right? and I don't <laughs> well, think no. the mom works, right? Yeah, yeah, so I, I just like, why why would you take that risk if you, you know, they're, are they trying to give her a normal life without Wi-Fi and Google? Yeah. It, it's weird. Yeah, I think the whole anti-Wi-Fi and anti-social media and anti-cell phone thing was briefly, so much was done shortly. It's like, you know, they track you through it. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they're really granola people. It's just they know that if they right. have a phone or a computer or anything else, they can be found and tracked. Yeah. I think if I was going to redo this, I would I would start off with them at the cabin. The whole family, if you want to have the whole family, and the mom can die and whatever happens, because maybe they're not as interested in her, or something goes wrong. And then you can you can fill in in story flashback of some kind, you know, kind of how they got to this place. I did like the one flashback to the, the parking lot scene, which is one of my favorite scenes from the book. Um, and it goes more horrifying, where in the, in the book, it's the whole, uh, the gun's too hot right? Go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, you're and, blind. Yeah. Yeah. You're blind. Right. Um, those are in some ways more horrifying because they're like living nightmare kind of things where in this one, you're going to forget how to breathe. Yeah. I feel like, are you going to, they didn't really establish how long his power sticks for though in, in the rest of the movie, because he tries to mind trick Rainbird into not being able to see where Charlie's running to. And then it, it goes away uh, where you'd think if you told somebody to forget how to, br- to breathe, they'd pass out and then would be away from his influence. Now, we know from the book that his, his mental domination powers linger a long time. But yeah. The, yeah. the guy who he told to go to sleep, if you said the word sleep to him months later, right. he went catatonic. Yeah, yeah. 
And the guy that was blind had just gone insane. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and, and people kept looking at the $1 bill and seeing it being a $500. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Even though they hadn't been directly pushed by Andy. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of crazy. And that, that doesn't make, that does not match up at all with the, <laughs> we put in the fancy contact lenses. We're good. Yeah. You never played Dungeons and Dragons, right, Seth? Right. Deanna, did you? I have not. Okay. So if you play basic Dungeons and Dragons from the 1980s, there was a level one magic user spell called Command. And every single first level magic user is always trying to fa- find a way around the limitations of command because it specifically says that the effects of the command last one turn. And so if you command somebody to die, they just fall catatonic and they lose a turn. You can tell them to sleep, but they wake back up at the end of the term. And so, hmm. so every, yeah, everyone in the group was always trying to find a way around it. It's like, what can I do to be really damaging that wouldn't be, you know, wear off on a term? Like, Mm. No. <laughs> they nerfed that power a little bit. Yeah. So, and that's kind of what they did with uh, with Andy in this one. Anything else? Highlights, lowlights? Mostly lowlights, but I think I've covered everything I really have yeah. to say about it. I did think it was a little weird that they were like, okay, cool, Charlie has all of the powers now, and yeah, they don't affect her the same way that they seem to affect her parents. And, you know, because she has that little moment where they're talking about the push, and she was like, I like how it feels. And meanwhile, Andy's eyes are bleeding. And it's like, this doesn't right. really track, but okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I can retcon that kind of, you know, make that work that, you know, her brain has grown up having these abilities. And so it doesn't affect her the same way where his, it was put upon it. It's like, like using steroids um, where she's just naturally stronger somehow from growing That's up fair. with it. I, and I did like that, you know, they didn't go with the standard, even the 1980s movie did it. Uh, Stranger Things uh, does it on Heroes. They used to do it where somebody's straining really hard with their mental power and their nose starts to bleed. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's getting a little tired. So this one did something different. Of course, I feel like people who watch this movie who have no context whatsoever are going to be like, That's kind of derivative of Stranger Things. I- <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. In, in fact, I think the book. And maybe this is something that's just common to a lot of adaptations that are coming out now. They lean so heavily on people's understanding of the book that they don't try to develop things as much as they should. Yeah. And then if you look at the movie just all by itself, you say, I, uh, why? Huh? Sure. What? Mm-hmm. No. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I have anything else to say on this one. Deanna, is there anything else you normally would cover on yours? No, I think we talked about the casting choices, the soundtrack. I'm... I'm all set with this one. (laughs) It was by far not one of my favorite things. I do usually do ratings. So I gave this a one and a half out of five. Ooh, ouch. I haven't, see, this is like, you've, you've been able to uh, sit with this one for a few days because you watched it as soon as it came out, right? Yeah. I think I watched it Friday night, I want to say, or Saturday night. Who knows what time is anymore, but it's been at least right. two or three days. <laughs> yeah. So, and we're we're just coming out of this and haven't been able to really think about it. I haven't written up my letterbox review yet or anything, but um, but not a big fan. Uh, you know, and the critical consensus is quite low. 12, 13 percent? 12, 12 or 13 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. It has a, had a lower budget today than the 1984 adaptation. 1984 wow. was done in uh, 18 million. I think. Let me check that real quick. Mm. Well, yeah, they had to pay Martin Sheen. 
No, I'm sorry. It's the same budget. Oh, that's interesting. Though. Yeah, the 1984 movie had a budget of 12 million and took in 18 million at the box office, mm-hmm. and this one had a budget of 12 million. And it has lost $6 million so far after its opening weekend. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Maybe that's COVID. I mean, part of it's COVID, right? Because they're also releasing it on Peacock. And, and so, yeah. I mean, you do have to, you do, have to do one of the uh, you know, $4.99 or $9.99 to watch it, essentially. And yeah. I found out that watching the, the $4.99 one, there were no ads. It just said, and I, I thought this was kind of funny, uh, Firestarter, starting now, brought to you by Best Food Spicy Mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was mine, so, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was kind of funny, but, and then we never got an ad. That was the weird thing. Oh no, it started with an ad. Oh, did it start? Okay. I guess it, I guess it did. And we just weren't paying attention because we were getting stuff set up. So. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it makes sense to dwell over long on this, uh, <laughs> just because, you know, we're not talking, we're not really talking about the book. Of course, we've spent a fair bit of time talking about the book and the previous movie, um, do you want to rank them really quick? Oh, we usually do rank them, though. We do. Um, okay. So, I mean, we all preferred the book to the movie originally, so it's really just a question of ranking the movies. Yeah. What, what do you think, Colin? I this this movie is not in the same ballpark as the 1984 <laughs> movie. Okay. All right. What about you, Deanna? Same. I would have to go book original this one, and we just won't mention Firestarter Rekindled. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I didn't really like the original movie. Um, I think if I had seen it in the 80s, I would have liked it more. But seeing it when we saw it, I didn't really care for it. I thought it was just kind of long and boring. It wasn't really that long, um, but at least it took the time to kind of establish the story. Even though it still couldn't get into the characters' heads, that was the major flaw, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, where here, it's just, I don't know, it was, it was a little half-assed. So it was just too bad. Yeah, it so. is. Yeah. Well, Deanna, thank you so much for, uh, I mean, we didn't intend you to sub in for our normal co-host. We were going to, we, we had room, we have room on the recorder for four tracks. We could have done it, but um, thank you for, for doing this on short notice as well. Yeah, no problem. It worked out well because I watched it opening weekend from my couch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so now you're caught up again until the next one comes out. Yeah. I have a nice little break until September, so I'm going to have to figure some stuff out in between here. Nice. Well, so before we completely sign off here, um, where can people find you in case any of our listeners are big Stephen King fans and want to check out your podcast? Yeah. So the podcast I'm mostly posting on Twitter at chat cemetery, and you can go to chatcemetery.com to check out the episodes and listen on whatever podcast player you prefer or on the web, if you prefer to do it that way. And my personal Twitter is at dchap, that is D3EsCHAP, because there is no version of my name available on Twitter. It is somewhat infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to improvise there a little bit. But yeah, I am always happy to talk king with people. And I've kind of been looking over at the shelf and I'm like, okay, I got some nonfiction that I'm going to do between now and Mm. Salem's Lot. I have a two or three more of his nonfiction books that I would like to cover because I just went straight for the fiction to start. And then I've been filling in with some of the random things like he has a gargoyle book that's like a big coffee table book with a bunch of gargoyle pictures from a photographer. It's there's some strange stuff out there, 
in King World, <laughs> but I'm trying to cover as much of it as I can. So if you dig nice. Stephen King, definitely hit me up on Twitter, check out the podcast. Always happy to talk about this stuff. All right. Well, it was great having you. Uh, always nice to talk to you. So I'm sure we'll talk again. Bye. Thank you. Well, we realized that we didn't actually do a wrap up. We just said goodbye to Deanna and then signed off and we didn't do our normal kind of winding down <laughs> of the episode or, or the blessing. No. Uh, so we've got some irons in the fire about what we're going to be doing over the summer. One thing that's on the list for 2022 is Soylent Green because that movie is set in 2022. In 2022. So we have to do it. Uh, it's just a matter of when I'm able to get the reading bandwidth to do it. One option that we've been talking about is doing something short like Welcome to Spiderhead or just Spiderhead. Was it just called Spiderhead? It's Escape from Spiderhead is the story. And then Spiderhead is the yeah. movie. Uh, that's coming out on Netflix as a short story. It's kind of an easy one to pick up. But then two of the other ones, well, we'd talk about The Door into Summer as well. I feel like we didn't hit that when it first came out. And so it's kind of like, maybe we eventually pick it up when we need an easy one. Yeah. But we've also talked about doing On the Beach. So, you know, having Michael on for that one. And Solo. Soldier. Dang it. I can never remember which one it is. It's Weapon. Solo. Weapon is the book. Solo is the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and those ones kind of go together, right? <laughs> we do we do a sad, depressing book and movie, and then we do one that Colin really wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we kind of did a Stephen King, and it didn't end up so great. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, we'll, we'll uh, put out on social media what we're going to be doing for June, and then we'll figure out the rest of it from there. Because also got some travel coming up, so... Uh, that allows for some reading, but it also makes it hard to record when we're not all in the same country. Well, and, you know, need to give James a little bit of time to get better. That's true. So please send him positive thoughts, prayers, small bottles of rum. <laughs> I'm sure he wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't say no to some, uh, quote, cough syrup. Cough syrup. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, get better, James. Uh, I don't know if he ever listens to the episodes. Maybe he'll listen to the one he wasn't on. So, all right, uh, that'll do it then. So thank you for listening. Uh, leave us a review if you like. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Hugo's podcast if you want to support the work we do here and I do on my other podcasts. All right, uh, let's sign off because it's getting late. We'll leave you with a standard blessing. May the road rise up to meet you and may the book always fall open to where you left off. That is it, right? Yep, that is it. Okay, sorry. It's it, it, <laughs> so many pushes and it starts to, you know, brain bleeds happen and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. may the road rise up to meet you and may you always have blinky contacts. No. Right. May your eyes not bleed. May you not be bleeding from the eyes. Yeah. All right. Bye, everybody.